Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Hey, and welcome back for another episode of the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Laws, and I wanted to just say thank you so much for connecting with me on LinkedIn and you know talking about how you listen to the show, what you're getting from it. I, I love that. And obviously, it's, it's working that I, that I say it because people are connecting with me and, and say that they're more comfortable to, to connect with me because I mention it. So I'll keep mentioning it if that if that helps. But I also wanted to just send a special shout out to Victoria Dew, who's a listener. She put me in touch with Karen Millsap, who's our guest for this episode. And it just goes to show like the community that we've built on this podcast. I couldn't even have imagined that we would have done it. And it's it's just great how people are coming together. They want to learn, they want to grow. And it's just really awesome. So I really appreciate you guys. Uh, Keep on connecting with me. I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn. Follow me on Instagram. I I didn't privatize that. So you can kind of get to know me and my family that way if if you'd like. So on to today's episode. Today's guest is Karen Millsap. You may recognize her name. She has a TEDx talk that's been circulating around quite a bit. And she also recently spoke at an inbound conference over in Boston uh, with HubSpot. So she's she's gaining a lot of steam on her speaking. And she really, she began her career in HR and talent acquisition. But at a, a young age, sadly, her life got flipped upside down abruptly after her husband was shot and murdered at a gym that they co-owned together. And this tragedy that she's experienced, it led her down to this different path of supporting others who've been grieving for various reasons. And now she's known as the grief consultant. Karen's been featured in Sherm Magazine, MSNBC, and as I mentioned, she's uh, been a TEDx keynote speaker, which we'll link to in the show notes and uh, on the transcript and, and blog posts that we always accompany with this podcast on the Zenium website. So this episode, Karen and I, we talk about her story, and she describes what led her down this path. And we discuss really, ultimately, what we talk about is how employers can bring more compassion and empathy into the workplace so that we can humanize the culture a lot more than it really is. So I really think you're going to enjoy this discussion. I loved it. It was one of my favorites. And Karen's just an amazing person, and I can't even imagine what she's gone through and, and how she's got to where she is now. I mean, she's just a strong person and I am so happy about the work that she's doing. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Reach out to Karen, connect with her too. She's she's amazing and she's a great speaker. So anyways, I'll get out of the way and here is the conversation with Karen. Hey, Karen, it's so great to have you in the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. 
I was introduced to you from a podcast listener, and I'm very grateful for it. So she sent me some of the work that you're doing. Actually, I watched your TED Talk, and it's really powerful. And I recommend, I'll put a link up to it in the show notes. I recommend people watch it. It's it's very powerful. I'd, lo- I'd love for you to just share your story, because it's a, it's a traumatic event. It's a tough one to hear, but I think it lays context for this entire discussion that we're about to have. Yeah, no, I'm happy to. And thanks again for having me. As soon as I heard about your podcast, I was like, let me check this out. <laughs> Absolutely. <So> <laughs> I love what you're doing. Um, so yeah, a little bit about me. I was thrown into this work abruptly, and it was a personal experience that brought me here. About four years ago, my husband died, and he was actually murdered. Um, so the tragedy on how he died, and of course, becoming widowed at such a young age, I mean, it just really throws you into a, a roller coaster of emotions. So when I transitioned back to the workplace, I have a background in HR. And so my eyes were just really open to, you know, this this disconnect, I call it. And being an HR person, I'm there because of the human element, right? That's why yeah. I want to be in HR. That's why we want to be in HR. Usually we, that's how we started off. And, and so I was just really surprised the lack of resources and support that that's available for grieving people. And so for me, I thought that maybe I was just grieving the way that my husband died because it was so traumatic, but then my eyes were open that grief comes in so many different forms. You know, it's not just the death of a loved one. It could be uh, divorce. It could be, you know, financial loss, changes within the organization. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? And there, and none of them, none of these losses or changes should be minimized. But so when I got a grasp on grief, just being a universal human experience, you know, I kind of stuck out my chest and said, well, I'm going to cure this problem. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine it takes time though. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it did. You know, I started with this idea. And really, it was just based on my experience and people who I connected with. I just started writing down ideas, you know, what can we do to what would I have done to make this situation better, this transition better? What can we do to support people better? And I just started journaling all of this stuff. And uh, finally, when I was out on my own, I decided, okay, you know, I'm going to be the oddball out. A friend of mine said, well, you're a pioneer. And I'm like, I don't really know if I like that word. And she said, well, you're pioneering into a new space and it's uncharted territory. So that just kind of made me realize that there's probably a long road ahead. Uh, but then about a year into this journey, Cheryl Sandberg's husband died. And she was very open about that and her journey. And so I appreciated that because I think up to that point, I really think that her experience was pivotal in our in our society and in our culture, because up to that point, there was a lot of shame and judgment tied to grief. And now you can Google grief and you see all of these different articles and, you know, HBR and Forbes yeah. that are talking about how do we support people. And so I'm just very thankful that I had, uh, you know, that courage that my friend kind of instilled in me and also the foresight to see that our individual experiences will shape the world around us. And so we really need to talk more about grief and how we can support one another so we can experience and create healthy healing journeys. Yeah, I mean, grief is such a tough one to deal with because everybody probably has a different response to it, right? And they deal with it so differently. And and you said when this happened, I don't was this two, three years ago? Four uh, years ago. Four years ago. And you were you in your twenty? You're in your twenties. I was, I was twenty nine. Th- now you're telling yeah. everybody how young I am. Well, I just <laughs> you, you you yeah, you look young, but you also mentioned that you were young, and this is and you had a, a small child at the time too, so nothing could have prepared you for something like this. And I imagine people who've had 
had a traumatic event like this could never in a million years be prepared for anything like this. How did you like right away? How did you deal with this? How did you cope with the situation at hand? Like what was your life like at the time? Well, uh, a lot of Ben and Jerry's and clothes. I mean, I just, I'll put it to you this way. Initially, I, um, the shock lasted a long time. Right. And, but I knew that I had two choices. I could either give up or I could get up. And when I realized that it was because I was looking at my son and he asked me something one day, like, you know, mommy, are you going to get out of bed? And I just thought to myself, my gosh, like I, you know, I need to do, he, I thought to myself, this is not going to be his story where he loses both parents. And so I just started to put one foot in front of the other. But honestly, Brandon, I was on autopilot for probably the first year. Because you're in like a state of shock, right? Yeah. Your your body's just not responding to any stimulus. Yep. And you're just kind of like, all right, I know I have to go to the grocery store. I know I have to bathe before I go to work. You know, I have. So I just really was just trying to put one foot in front of the other. And then um, I had an opportunity to go through Mika Brzezinski from Morning Joe Uh, selected me as a finalist for her contest, Know Your Value. In this contest, you were sent to the Human Performance Institute um, through Johnson & Johnson, where they help you to just unpack your total well-being. Well, it was this experience that I realized, and by the time I went to this, I thought I was okay. I had fooled myself into thinking that I was fine, right? And probably most of the people around me too, because they would say, you're so strong. And I'm like, you have no idea. No idea what's going (laughs) on inside. What's going on in my head? Yeah, exactly. But But it really was by the grace of God that I had this opportunity presented to me. And when I went, I recognized that the only way to get through grief is to is to learn how to take care of your total well-being. You know, there are things that we can do to help support our emotional, mental, spiritual and physical well-being. And there are physical and psychological side effects to grief, but a lot of times people don't realize the physical side effects, right? So because I was immersed into this three-day program where I thought I was okay, I came out completely changed. And that really helped me to turn a new leaf and try to navigate grief with a healthier perspective and with with intentional shifts in my lifestyle. When people are going through a situation like this, and and maybe you can shed light on uh, your story a little bit. Are you able to take time off? What's your personal situation like? Are you able to have help? Um, you know, you had a you have a small child at the time, so are you able to get somebody to watch your child? Well, you know, there there are two areas of support that are needed. It's definitely personal, but it's also professional. Now, there are there's only one state in the country that actually mandates bereavement leave. So that that's terrible, right? Only one state is saying, yeah. What, you what's the what's the one state? Oregon. Or, I know. Uh, where we're at. I, say, and, and <laughs> I don't, don't even think. Leave, so I don't <laughs> even think I knew that. That's that's funny. I'm a marketing guy, not a, not an HR guy. So that's, that's okay. Why. <laughs> that's all right. Now you know. <laughs> I know now. And, and so so, but outside of Oregon, actually having this law, um, most of employers will only offer about three to five days off. That's yeah. it. You can't even plan a funeral in three to five days. And, no. and keep in mind, this is only talking about death. What if you find out that, you know, your child was in a car accident and they're in ICU? You don't automatically have time off for that, right? You have to find out what the policies are. So so keeping in mind that grief comes in different forms. But for me, my boss was phenomenal. He was amazing because, he, and the reason he told me, he said, the only reason I know how to respond to you is because I had a near-death experience with my wife. 
So he was tapping into a personal experience, which is what he was, how he was able to draw out ways to put compassion into action. So what he did was he coordinated a PTO campaign where everybody in the company donated paid time off. So yeah. I ended up having six weeks off, which That's was cr- great. We, we did something like that here um, at our company. Some, somebody's spouse passed away and we all like, I don't know if everybody did it, but we had a lot of people pitch in. And I think yeah. that's such, I mean, that's the least you could do. It's, right. it's great. Right. It's a key, you know, that's a really key component to putting compassion into action. When you have experienced something like this, what can you do to just respond to their basic needs, you know, help them adjust and, and, and cope with what's going on. And so again, keeping in mind that three to five days is nothing. Yeah. And it also, it only covers um, immediate family member. But what if your aunt died and she was like your mom? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know that. But if they're so rigid in their policies, then unfortunately, it just it, it leaves you in it brings you down another notch. Right. Because now you're handling the burden and the worry of everything else professionally. So so I would say that my, my company did a great job. You know, they stepped in, in in multiple ways to support me. But then personally, I had um, some changes that happened, but there were some really key people who would just come over and lay with me if I was on the ground or if I was, you know, sitting outside on the porch or one of my good friends, uh, we would walk around target aimlessly. Cause I'm like, I know I need to get out of the house, but I don't know where to go. And she's like, let's go to target. <laughs> and target is a cure all for anybody who wants to know, but it was just a matter of having people who they didn't have to do the right thing, but they were just present. And as a matter of fact, I mentioned this friend, her name is Jamie in the Ted talk. And so for the first time she heard through my Ted talk, how much her presence impacted me. And she called me and she was like, I can't believe that I didn't know if I was doing enough or mm. what I was doing. And, and, and so that's why I do like to talk about grief and, and make it less awkward because really we can be paralyzed by fear and we don't know if we should do anything or what to do. But the more that we share our stories, the more we find out that even the smallest gesture can make an enormous impact on someone's life. Yeah, I think like with people who aren't going through it, they they're not sure what the response is going to be like or what what it's supposed to be said to support. You in your TED talk, you even uh, gave an example of like I think right after it happened where I can't remember if it was like the police officer or somebody, but they just said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Yeah. What's the right thing to say? I mean, obviously that was just a weird he shouldn't have said what he said uh, <laughs> yeah. because it was not compassionate whatsoever and not yeah. empathetic to your situation that it just had happened but what in that moment it just had happened what is the right thing to say well this is one of the pillars of practical empathy that we do in our workshops right one of those pillars being communication what do you say or what don't you say in in these kind of sensitive situations it depends on who you are to that person right because there's somebody who may be closer that could really get down and dirty but just as a an umbrella i would say be authentic just yeah. be real you know if somebody comes to you and says this just happened to me, or if you find out news about a coworker or colleague or friend and, and they've experienced something traumatic, your response can be, I'm so sorry that this happened. I can't imagine what you're feeling, but I just want you to know that I'm here for you, right? Now, sometimes people will say, how can I help you? And they mean well, <laughs> but we're so overwhelmed with emotion and consumed with these new thoughts that it's hard to even wrap our mind around what do we need? So just be intentional. You know, there were people who said, I'm going to bring uh, dinner to you guys for the next week. 
And then my office actually coordinated this, this fundraiser for us. So they just, they looked for ways that they could be helpful and intentional and thoughtful. And again, responding to those basic needs. So the right thing to say is, is an authentic response. You could even say, oh my gosh, this crap sucks, right? Like you can just say, yeah. it does, it does yeah. suck. And we need people who are going to be, who are going to meet us where we are and, and be at that level with us. So I would say, so, and then here's another one. Uh, I actually read this out of Sheryl Sandberg's book, Option B, which is phenomenal. Please put great that in book. the show notes, yes. right? Great, yes, great will book. do. Um, great book. But she mentioned this woman who found out who she had cancer. And so the response was, you know, we don't know where this is going. We don't know what's going to happen, but we just want you to know that we're going to be here with you every step of the way. Then you're not offering this like false hope and you're not just belittling what they're going through, but you're saying, I, I know that this is going to be hard, but I also know that I'm going to be here with you through that. And that's an authentic, genuine response. <laughs> yeah. And what about, so, and, and I think you may have said this too, but instead of just saying like, hey, I'm there for you whenever, can you be specific or mm-hmm. say like, hey, I'm going to drop a meal off for you yes. tomorrow night. Like being specific like that versus saying, let me know when you want yes. uh, a yes. meal. I'll come cook. Because nobody's, you know, person who's grieving is not going to reach out and say, no, I need it. Hey, yeah, I want I want a meal. Yeah, no, I don't need, I'm fine. I'm good. No, nope, I'm good. Nope. And I'm telling you, so from personal experience, I mean, it was even hard for me to talk to my parents about my husband's death because I didn't want to be a burden to them. Right. Yeah, I wasn't exactly. sharing my emotions with friends and with family because I knew that they were also grieving and I didn't want to add to that. So when you ask a griever, you know, Hey, just let me know. Well, then you're creating this, you know, no, another level of awkwardness. Cause they're like, I don't know when to ask. I don't know if it's, you know, they don't want to put you in a bad position. So just go right for and say, I'm going to do this for you, or let me help you buy, or uh, I will take care of, you know, my dad would just check the mail every day for me. I'm like, thank you. Cause I forgot that it comes. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'm not even sure what day it is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think uh, Cheryl Sandberg said this in option B, but there's, there's people who will probably stay connected and, and maybe say the right things or just making sure that, Hey, I'm there for you if you need me. And there's other people that just, they don't know what to say. So they just don't say anything at all. And that's just way worse, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I hear this all the time from leaders, you know, before going in to do a workshop, they say, I want to do something. I just don't know what to do. And you know what happens? So they wait and they wait and they, they wait and they wait. They get paralyzed by fear. Yep. That's what happens. Whether it's a personal or professional relationship, you just get paralyzed by fear. And so again, and don't think that you have to say something perfect. Let me, actually, let me share some things that you shouldn't say. Maybe that'll help. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, okay. So I tell people, don't try to one-up them with a personal story, right? If you experienced a divorce then uh, and you have somebody who said they're experiencing a divorce, don't say, well, you'll be happy in six months that that person is gone. Like, no, you have no idea what they're going through, right? So, or don't give them religious advice. Like, listen, I love the Lord, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ is my superstar. But, but I am telling you that religious advice will create more of a distance with that person and, and just do what is applicable to your faith. You know, pray for them or whatever that looks like. But you have to let their faith be a personal journey. That's really what, what you need to give that space for and just be present with them when they need a listening ear. And then I also tell people, so I said the one up, hold on, one up. Oh, don't tell them to stay busy. Because staying, oh yeah, just take your mind off of it yes, by staying busy. Yeah, yes. staying busy um, really just delays the healing. It suppresses what they're going through. 
Because um, then a year later, you may just have a complete meltdown. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you're like, why is all this coming out? Well, it's because you bottled yeah. it up for too You didn't, long. didn't deal with it. Yep. Yep. And then the last one I would say is don't tell them that time heals because that's not true. Time does nothing without healthy action. And I, I reference this a lot with people. I give them this metaphor of you broke your arm. Are you going to sit there and wait for time to heal it? No, you're going to do something about it. Right. So don't tell them, you know, oh, and, and, and people would tell me this all the time in a year, the fog will lift. That is not true <laughs> because it's, maybe it's different for everybody. I'm sure. And it's different for everybody. Great point. Yep. What did you feel like when, when you went through that moment? What was like the kindest thing that anybody said or did for you? Because we should replicate that. Oh, there's so many. Yeah. And maybe just rattle off a couple of those. So I think people need to, people need to understand like if somebody goes through, it doesn't have to be death necessarily. It could be anything. Yeah. What's the right way to respond? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I, you mentioned earlier how the, the story in my, in my Ted talk, that was really the first time that I saw somebody put compassion into action. It was when the officer told me that I needed to call somebody to clean up in there. I mentioned, yeah, that's like, really? Yeah. Yeah. And then his suggestion was to look it up in the yellow pages. Cause I was like, I don't even know what you mean. Who do I call? And my pastor came over to me and he said, don't worry, we'll take care of it. So I would say, I use that as an example to say, when you see somebody in need, just act on it you know, answer to that call. Don't wait. And it, that can come in so many different forms. So I would just say step up, step up and respond to, you know, some of their basic needs. Again, I had coworkers and uh, friends and they coordinated together, not even knowing each other, but somehow they got connected and they made sure wow. it was about probably two months that my son and I had meals um, provided for us, which was great because I was not thinking about eating. Right. But I had a little one to take care of. You got a little one. Mm -hmm. My good friend, uh, Jamie, who lived down the street, she would just, she was a nurse. So she worked three days a week and every other day, um, she would just walk down there and just be with me. She would just be present. People always ask me, what do I do? How do, how should I be there for them? Again, it doesn't matter what the situation is or the grief or loss or change that occurs. Just being there is enough, you know? Um, I had a lot of help with my son. As a matter of fact, the daycare around the corner reached out and said, um, I, the headmaster or whatever they're called, the director, there we go. The director, she reached out and she said, I, I sent a letter to the board and we have your son's daycare covered for the next year. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. So, uh, which was great. Gosh, there was so many things, even at work, you know, people would just say, let me do this for you. Or I've already taken care of that. Or even just, you know, do you want to get out and, and go to lunch or do you want to go for a walk? I had one woman who was amazing. She and I were really close and she, and she said, anytime you need to come into my office and cry, it's okay. And there are times where you just have these moments where you don't know what to do, where to turn. There's a lot of shame. You're crying and you don't want to look like the crazy person, but you need somebody there to let you know you're not crazy. And that was her. You know, she said, just come into my office and it's okay. Um, so there are countless ways that people showed up. And but when you listen to all of those, what were they doing? It was a small gesture. It was a simple gesture. And they just responded to my basic needs. I mean, that, that's the best way that I can respond or, or that I can tell people or give advice because everybody is different. And, and what may work for one may not work for another. So and actually, let me give you one more that was in the professional environment. So when I transitioned back to work, you know, obviously they were very gracious with the six weeks. But my boss also coordinated to have a virtual recruiter help me pick up my load, share my load. So he allowed me to come into work and transition back to a full-time schedule by coming in uh, two days a week. 
And then he said, you can answer, you know, uh, emails from home if you'd like to, but we're going to share your load with a virtual recruiter. She was part-time staffing person. And that allowed me to, again, kind of ease my, my way back into a full-time schedule and full-time workload. Yeah. I was going to ask you about like just getting back to work, what that's like. I mean, do you obviously take the time and uh, it's going to be the time that you take off probably changes for everybody. It's going to probably depend on what your employer is willing to, to let you you know, stay out for. But when you get back to the office, how do people treat you? What's your mindset as far as like being productive? Are, are you back into full swing? Does it take time? Like, just give me the you know, kind of insight. Yeah, there. well, when you transition back to work, it's not about you. It's about them. Like, because everybody's different on how they handle and process, right? So yeah. the way that they are interacting with you is kind of a way that reflects more upon their character or behavior or, or their comfort level even. And so so for me, I had a great group of people who were around me, but it was a high productive, high fast paced environment um, overall. And, you know, I hate to say this, but it's true. It was a male dominated environment. And so they were just less empathetic, meaning now that I'm a single parent, I need to be there for my son first. But if I needed to be there for him, you know, uh, a, cu- a couple times in a row, then it was looked, it was frowned upon. Right. Okay, so, yeah. so this is what I would suggest. You have to consider, um, the change that has occurred in this person's life. So does that mean that there is a temporary adjustment in their workload or their work schedule? Um, does that mean that now, you know, maybe they experienced an injury where they're not able to do as many things or they're, they're a caregiver and they have to be there for their spouse or their elderly parent more. So are there some adjustments even in their responsibilities or a shift that can allow them to continue to be productive, even if it's just changed shape a little bit? You know, there are many ways that we can contribute to the work environment, but when life changes, that may change as well. So, so for me, I was very thankful that I had a good group of people who put their arms around me and help me to adjust. But ultimately what I found was it was not the right environment for me because I wasn't able to be a parent first. And that was most important. You know, my son lost his dad and I wanted him to know that I was going to be there for him as much as I could. Um, there was flexibility for a little bit, but it wasn't sustainable. And I understand that that's fine. Um, so thankfully, you know, I, I did have the, the, foresight to say, okay, well, maybe I need to work for myself. What does this look like? You know, because I don't know if I'm going to find an environment, but I've heard really great stories from different um, clients and, and other just companies where they say, no, you know, this is what we offer and we're going to offer flexibility beyond whatever the policy is. We're going to work with you. We'll create some, um, some temporary adjustments, whatever you need, right? What happens is when you create these um, impact points, then it really deepens their value in the company and they become more loyal. They're not going to abuse it for the next two years, right? They're, they really, when they recognize that they're valued, then they want to show you they're loyal. And that's how you get that. It's almost like the law of reciprocity, right? <laughs> I wanted to ask you because we were talking about how Oregon's the only state that has mandated bereavement leave. So what's what do you think the balance is between, you know, government mandated things uh, for, you know, for grieving people or just go- people going through issues like this? Or should we just talk about it more and hopefully employers would adapt to what people need? Uh, kind of like some of the, the things that we're talking about, flexibility. And what, what would you rather have? I would say that even if there was a government mandated policy 
that employers need to create their own policies that invite empathy and compassion, that allow their managers and their leaders to offer some sort of flexibility. Uh, you know, I definitely say that three to five days is, is not enough. I think there should be something mandated around that. Um, but I think what we really need to encourage and focus more on uh, are the kind of leaders that we are that we are, are celebrating, right? We want leaders who are going to be empathic. We want leaders who are going to realize that they're working with people, right? It's not just about being a manager. It's about being a leader. <laughs> and, and so as you lead, then you have to consider that you are leading people. That we are beautifully complex humans. And so, and the reason why I say policies are important, and we do need to have some, some policies and procedures that are in there to help to shape it, is some people are not naturally empathetic. That, and that's okay, yeah, that's good, that's right? That, that's okay. So if they are looking for a policy or a procedure that's going to help them respond to their employees, uh, you know, life event, then you have to have something in there that is really going to support and be beneficial to the employee, right? Um, but again, if you offer and create this um, culture that is very human centric and, and psychologically safe, people have to be able to know that they can come to you and tell you something's going on, then you're encouraging your leaders to really uh, come from a place in their heart and think that, okay, we have to value our employees. What do we do? And even though we have a policy or procedure, I know that they need more than that and, and give them that room and that flexibility to act in that space. You know, again, going back to Cheryl Sandberg's book, she said, we shouldn't have have to just rely on the kindness of our bosses. And that is why we need to have those policies and procedures in place. One of the things that just irritates me about mandates sometimes is that people just, you know, it's like, okay, we have to do this. And I guess Susie's got to be out for three to five days or whatever, because, you know, she she lost her, her mother and she's got to do it. Versus the other side of it would be, it's the right thing to do. Right. An employer wants to do this because they know it's right. And we care about That's Susie, right. who, who needs the time. And we're actually going to give her two yep. weeks. And you know where that starts, though? At the top. It does start at the top. And that's why I'm glad we're talking yeah, about this. Yeah, it does. It starts with your, you know, your C-suite and how do they treat, treat their people. And I always tell people that, listen, uh, for, especially for organizations, if you want to create a human-centric workplace, um, especially with compassion and, and empathy as these dimensions of excellence, it needs to be in your values. As a matter of fact, HubSpot, they have this acronym HEART. And that helps their, uh, it, it, I forget what they all stand for because the story I heard was just about how they changed E from efficient to empathetic. They made that a core value for their company. And now they're doing things that are helping to support that. And so what happens is when you, when you have your values that are supporting compassion and empathy as key components in your business, then and you support that, right? Like you offer some training with that. You have conversations, you have yeah. lunch and learns. What happens is you're ensuring that your company and your people are on the same page. And that's what, co that's what creates a cohesive culture. Let's talk real quick. Empathy, compassion. I hear those words a lot. Are they the same thing? Are they different? Like define those for very me. muddy. <laughs> <laughs> it so, so does. Empathy is knowing how somebody feels or being able to relate to how they because feel. Because you 
been through it. Right. Yeah. Okay, right. Right. Sense. So there's actually three different uh, levels of empathy. And, and, and so it's like, I can understand how you feel. I can feel how you feel. And then I can respond to how you feel. Right. So those are the three, but compassion is actually wanting to alleviate that person's suffering. So that's why I like to say um, you have to put compassion into action, right? Empathy is, yes, empathy is the feeling, but compassion is the response. And so that's how I differentiate it for for people who ask that exact question. <laughs> yeah. So so the empathy would always it would always come first. Then right. It's as it happens, you're you're sort of being there in support. You're either knowing how they feel, you're feeling what they yeah. feel, and then the compassion is okay. What's yes. next? What yes. do we do in yes. response? Exactly. Exactly. How do we insert more compassion in the workplace, though? There's lots of different ways. So I have this really Let's funny, yeah. talk about them. Yeah, I think well, you don't have to give away all your no, secrets, no, but no, tell, tell some of the listeners. So about I actually it. created uh, this tool called the Compassion Action Plan. And if if you go on to our website, agencysolutions.com, you're going to get a pop up and it says download this ebook because it was so good and it's so fruitful in the workshop. I'm like, no, everybody has to have this. I'm just going to give it away and then we'll we'll teach the other stuff later. So so if you go to the website, you'll be able to download the ebook, a compassion action plan. And it just has all of these different ways. And we also break it down into five different life events. Now, if you want to do this in the workplace, then you get your uh, group of managers together. We'll just say, maybe you have town hall meetings regularly and you break them up into five different groups. The five groups are going to respond to these life changes. It'll be death, divorce, illness, or injury, financial loss, or becoming a caregiver. And then what you do is you have to start stimulating this environment where people feel comfortable being vulnerable because the way that you create the list of ways to put compassion into action is by their stories. And that's what happened with me. Like I was, I knew what worked for me. Uh, you know, I built this grief community of grievers who were sharing their experiences. So I pulled from that, from the clients that we've worked with, you know, I pulled from that and I just said, well, let me just give like a high level view. But everybody is, I've heard everything from, you know, I lost my grandmother and she was really important to me. So my company planted a tree in her honor and sent me a plaque right? That's like super cool. I've never experienced that's, that. That's amazing. Exactly. Exactly. So, so when you create, you know, that kind of environment, again, where people are comfortable sharing their stories, you're going to have endless options of ways that people can put compassion into action. If their employee comes to them and says, I just experienced this. That's a simple way to do it. <laughs> we did at, at our organization, this is probably three or four years ago. We got, we had some external folks come in and we got at the time, I think we had like 40, 45 employees. We all got in our training room. We got in this giant circle and it started with the, the trainers and they just, they talked about their life. They just like uh, in a two minute little segment, they talked about their life, but somehow it got to like traumatic events or just things that they're dealing with. And then it just sort of snowballed as we went around the room. And all of a sudden what, what we were sort of like, we're looking around the room. It's like, I've never heard these things from other people. And all of a sudden we're like, Hey, I I see the same thing as you, or I feel the same thing. I'm going through the same thing. I'm taking care yes. of, you know, uh, a loved one who's very old or, or something like that. And it's just, it just opened yes. up our organization. Yes. It was the most incredible. It was very hard. It was a really emotional day, but I'll never but forget you, that. What did you and find was, out? Everybody is going through something, right? That's why I'm like, yes, there should exactly. be no shame and grief and definitely no judgment. We've no. all experienced it. We've all, I mean, you know, again, 
It's a universal human experience. And every workshop, I start off with this. Close your eyes and raise your hand if you've experienced any of the following. I list off these different exactly. uh, losses or changes. Then I ask everybody to open their eyes. Everybody's hand in the, in the room has been raised. And they see that. They're like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I had no idea. It's amazing why we tiptoe around this one. It's like we can make the workplace yes. a lot more human. I'd be a lot more fun I know, to work there. I know. Well, You'd have deeper relationships. It just it makes no exactly. sense to me that we're not more human. What's your company doing uh, to, to really help employers kind of get through this and really see what you're seeing? So there are a couple of things that, that we offer. The first is a workshop, right? The workshop covers four different courses um, because what I found is while while I wanted to, and I told you I was like showing my Superman on my chest or Wonder Woman on my chest, I was going to cure grief in the workplace. I was ready for it. What I recognized was that it's not just about an isolated grief incident. It's really much bigger than that. It's about the kind of cultures that we're creating because if our cultures are employing compassion and empathy, then and practicing that right on a day to day basis, I mean, whether you're having a, a board meeting or whether you're having a one on one conversation with an employee, if you have compassion and empathy in your business, then that is mastery preparation for a time of crisis. You're already going to know how to respond to somebody when this happens, right? So, so what I found was I just did a little bit of adjustment. I said, okay, well, instead of leading with grief, I'm going to lead with compassion and empathy because those are behaviors, but there are hard skills that we can build to help to cultivate those behaviors, right? So the workshop goes over that. So the workshop will cover, you know, high quality connections, empathic listening, uh, cooperative conversation. But we always cover life's lemons. Yeah. And that is brief because we need to talk about it. Absolutely. And so I just I want to give you guys some, you know, black and white. Listen, this is what you do. This is how you do it. It's very, very helpful. But we do really focus holistically from that view of com compassion and empathy. And so so the workshops are one offering. But then we realize that we'll. A workshop could just end up being a notebook on somebody's desk and they never use it. <laughs> so I did a lot of uh, connecting with people from the positive psychology and OB world. And, and so now what we also offer is the 100% human program. And that's reinforced learning, right? And it comes through different ways. It comes through e-learning and videos and, and facilitator-led workshops. But what happens is it's not just a workshop for your managers and your leaders it helps to penetrate the entire workforce because your people need to know, no, this is a shift that we are committed to. This is the culture that we're creating and this is how we're going to do it. So that way they not only know, okay, I can feel safe going to my boss, but they know how to show up for each other. You know, we don't always go to our boss with what's going on in our lives. So yeah. a lot of times we go to our peers. And so you're, so everybody in the organization needs this level of training. It's so interesting that you focus, your organization focuses on compassion first versus the grief side, even though, you know, you, you focus on the grief side a little bit, but compassion is culture changing in my opinion. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's how, how we interact. It's, it's whether or not we, we love coming to work with the people that we yes. work with or not. And the grief is just like, you know, it's dealing with incidents. Mm -hmm. But I think you can solve it all upstream if you can, to your point, just kind of lay the groundwork exactly. for it. Exactly. I, lo I love the work that you're doing. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's, Me too. 
you're an, you're an amazing person <laughs> and this was a lot of fun where can people find your work your ted talk any of that stuff that you want to point yeah well to? if you want to learn about our workshops and and the training side of it then you can go to my company website agencysolutions.com and agency is spelled with an e because we are the agent to bring empathy to your workplace so agencysolutions.com anything that's uh, professional but then if you want to learn more about my personal ministry helping people through grief and and i do a lot of motivational inspirational speaking you can just go to karenmillsap.com and that's millsap with two l's i told you people always spell it with one l (laughs) (laughs) we'll make sure in the show notes it'll be correct i guarantee (laughs) karen millsap thank you for being on the podcast it was a pleasure thank you brandon this was a great conversation and thank you again for highlighting this topic Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.